2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 20 to 22 For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Hi everyone, welcome to our Sunday service. It's great to have you join in today. Well, we're in a series uh, on praying God's promises with the Psalms. Uh, so we're learning how to meditate on God's promises so that, they, uh, so that we can handle life in a way that draws us into deeper communion with God. That's why the Psalms were given. Uh, the Psalms show us how to voice our prayers to God. But not only that, they actually show us how to think, uh, how to, to feel, how to hope, and even how to pray as we, uh, how to cry as we pray. And uh, not only that, but there's a psalm really for every occasion. It doesn't matter how you feel or what you're going through, there's a psalm that will help you to learn to pray, to learn to draw near to God. Uh, John Calvin famously said in, in the uh, preface, Uh, to his commentary on the Psalms, he says, I have been accustomed to call this book an anatomy of the soul, for there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. And so it doesn't matter how you feel or what your life is like, uh, the Psalms will guide you and teach you uh, how to draw near to God uh, in anything Now, so far in this series, we've looked at God's promise uh, of protection. Uh, Last time we looked at God's promise to answer our prayers. Now, today we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, Rather than looking at a particular promise of God and and meditating on that, uh, today we're going to consider what do you do uh, when God's promises seem to have failed? Uh, What if you're in a situation where you're actually struggling to believe? Uh, struggling to believe God's promise. Uh, What do you do then? Well, there's a psalm for that too. Psalm 77. Uh, Psalm 77 is about what to do when God seems distant and uh, when his promises don't seem to help. So if you've got a Bible, open to Psalm 77. Uh, It's always good to open a Bible up. I know the the words will be up on the screen, but uh, it's best if you've got your own Bible and you're following along. Psalm 77. Let's um, read God's word. Uh, but before I do that, I'll, I'll pray. Let's, let's come before God in prayer. Lord, we come to worship you now in the reading and hearing of your word. Uh, we come, Lord, with many burdens. Some of us are anxious or upset about the situation of our state. Uh, some have other troubles at work or at home or family members that we can't visit. Uh, Some of us struggle in other ways, maybe with doubt or maybe with distractions. We find it hard to focus, Lord. Even watching a service on a screen can be hard for some of us. Uh, But whatever our burden is, we pray, Lord, that you would break through and speak powerfully to us today through your word. Give us spiritual food to satisfy our hungry hearts. Give us that soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word. 
because we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, hear from the word of God. Psalm 77. To the choir master according to Jedithan, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favourable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob, and Joseph, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of God. When I was quite young, I went to a day out on a lake and it was a windy day. And during the course of the day, my little brother decided to hop into a canoe. Now, he didn't know how to control a canoe. Uh, and before too long, the wind blew it out far out into the lake. And he had no way of getting back. You know, I'm not even sure if he had a life jacket on. Uh, but he was all alone. He was frightened. Uh, he was completely helpless. And no matter how hard he tried to paddle, he just kept getting further away. Do you know that sort of thing can happen to you spiritually? Uh, sometimes without realising, you can find that you've drifted away from God. And if that's not bad enough, you know, no matter how hard you try to get back, sometimes it can feel like it's just not working, that you can't seem to get back. Now, when that happens to you, you're in what this psalm calls the day of trouble. The day of my trouble, that's what this psalm is all about. It's about that feeling that you've lost touch with the Lord, that God seems distant. And no matter how hard you try to, 
to get back that sense of communion with him. It, it feels like there's a barrier, almost like he's left you. So what do you do in your day of trouble? Well, the bloke who wrote this psalm, Psalm 77, uh, was a man named Asaph. And Asaph describes in great detail the day of his trouble. But he doesn't just tell us about the trouble he went through. He tells us a pathway out of the trouble. He tells us how he got out of it. And so we're going to look at these two parts. We see a day of trouble in verses 1 to 9. And then we see a pathway out of trouble in verses 10 to 20. Now, let's just first try to get a sense of how this man felt, uh, what his day of trouble was like. So if we look at verse 1, he writes, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, with uh, my hand is stretched out without wearying. And so this is someone who is deeply troubled, uh, someone who is pouring out their cries constantly and persistently to God. Uh, The stretched out hand in that culture was actually the posture of prayer. And so this man is doing the right thing about his struggle. You know, sometimes we sing, uh, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. But this man was not making that mistake. Here Here is a man who is praying like he has never prayed before. And yet, what was the result? Nothing. So you look at the end of verse 2. My soul refuses to be comforted. Do you know that phrase is the very one that Jacob used when he found out that his beloved son Joseph was no more? My soul refuses to be comforted. You know, verse 3 of this psalm, it really brings out the inner turmoil that Asaph was experiencing because although he was desperately and persistently crying out to prayer, it all seemed to just add to his pain. See, look at verse 3. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Do you know, we often tell people, uh, to, to pray about their trouble. And sometimes we might even think that you know, prayer is just, it's just something that it's almost like a magic formula just to make you happy again. Uh, but this psalm, inspired by God, tells us that that wasn't the case, not for Asaph. No, no, the more he prayed, the worse he felt. You know, the more he thinks about God and, and the way God used to be such a joy in his life, now he just moans because he doesn't have that experience of God now. You know, all that God seemed to be doing for Asaph, uh, if you have a look at verse 4, is preventing him from sleep. Uh, you know, he's so troubled about this, he says <clears throat> that I can't speak, cannot speak about it. Uh, verse 6 talks about the songs that he, he, he used to sing in the night to, to sing himself to sleep. And yet now they don't seem to work. Nothing seems to work. There seems like there's no relief in this turmoil. So what was causing all this pain? Why was he so troubled? Well, notice he actually doesn't tell us in the psalm. He just tells us how he was coping. And it's probably like that on purpose because this is written for God's people to learn. Uh, We're to learn it by singing it, by praying it. Uh, by making it ours. And do you see the effect of leaving 
the cause of pain undefined is so that we can find ourselves in this psalm, so that, so that we can see our own experiences in, in light of what this psalm is saying. Do you know, I remember um, many, many years ago, uh, someone shared with me a very deep struggle, spiritual struggle that they were going through. And I remember as I listened to them sharing this struggle, I remember that awful feeling of, I don't know what to say. You know, they were telling me about the pain they were experiencing. And I just thought anything I could think of to try to bring comfort, it just it felt like it would f- fall flat. I was completely overwhelmed with what they were telling me. But it just so happens that I read Psalm 77 that morning. And so I didn't know what to say. So all I did was just open the Bible and start reading. And as I read that psalm, I'll never forget that that person just butted in and said, that is exactly how I feel. You know, it was like they were saying, finally, someone understands me. I'm not talking about me. They're talking about God's word. Finally, someone understands me. See, this psalm, it actually gives us a voice for how to express our struggles with faith, our deep struggles that we have. In fact, look at the questions that Asaph voices in verses 7 to 8. He says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favourable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Do you see, he's, he's essentially saying, or asking three questions in six different ways. It's all the same question though. It's the question of God's integrity. Has God failed? Has God changed? That's what he's asking. You know, he's saying, has God failed to keep his promise? Has God, has God's steadfast love stopped being steadfast? Has God somehow changed? See, that's the heart of this struggle. Uh, I mean, you know, if God is on his side, if God is there and, and God is for him, then you know, at least there's hope. And yet this struggle that he's going through, it's so bad, it's so hard that it actually has him questioning if God has in fact given up on him altogether. Has God abandoned me forever? That's the struggle. Now, as some of you can testify, this is not an uncommon experience for believers. There will likely be times when most of us, maybe all of us, will go through a deep struggle of the soul like this, where we ask similar sorts of questions, where we have doubts, where we wonder, where is God? What is he doing? Uh, For some of us, you know, we might doubt the very character of God even. For some, that could be in a time of bereavement or in a serious illness. For others, it could be an event in society or, or in the world. That deeply troubles you. Uh, perhaps you have endured some horrid disappointment in your life and it had you questioning, does God even care? Or maybe, maybe the trouble is, maybe you've dabbled in some sin, thinking that it wouldn't matter, and yet it's taken you somewhere where you th- could never imagine going. And now it feels like you're stuck and it feels like there's no way back. Or maybe for some of you, your day of trouble has come just simply through neglect. 
You know, you know that God has given us these means of grace so that we can draw near to him in prayer, Bible reading, fellowship, all these wonderful things. And yet, perhaps for some of you, it's just through sheer neglect, ignoring the Christian disciplines that God has given us to enable us to grow. Maybe that's why you're in that day of trouble. Or maybe we could go through this time and perhaps there's no obvious cause. We can't actually pin it down why we feel like we do. And perhaps that's what would trouble us the most. But this is the day of trouble. The day of trouble. So what are we to do? What are you to do? What, what should you do if you are in the day of trouble? What should you do if you one day are in the day of trouble? Well, let's look at the, the way out. A pathway out of trouble. And that's in verses 10 to 20. Here we have the, a pathway out of trouble. And uh, you can see that a turning point has been reached once we get to verse 10. A very clear turning point. Uh, from verse 10, the mood of the psalm changes dramatically. Uh, let's have a read from verse 10. Uh, Asaph, he, he writes, uh, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder on your, all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Now, do you see the shift there? Up until now, Asaph has been meditating on the pain that he was feeling. Uh, he was meditating on all the things that he was doing to try to combat that pain. Uh, he even meditated on how God used to be such a joy in his life, but now uh, isn't. And see, all of that wasn't helping. And so now Asaph, he changes his tact. This time, he deliberately, uh, he intentionally sets his thoughts on the way God has acted in history to save his people. Uh, that's what he means by saying, your mighty deeds, the way God has acted in history to save his people. Uh, so let's read on uh, verse 13. He writes, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Now, as Asaph thinks about the way God has acted in the past in salvation history, uh, he begins to see afresh the way that God is with his people. And the more he meditates on the mighty deeds of the Lord, that dark fog that was blocking a clear view of God, that it slowly starts to lift. And he begins to see afresh that God hasn't changed, that he is still holy he is still good. You know, Jasmine and I uh, went to Bali many years ago and uh, we stayed on a beach uh, that was supposed to have a beautiful view. And so we were there for five days and, and we you know, thoroughly enjoyed our time. But I have to say, the view, pretty rubbish. <laughs> I mean, you'd probably get a better view if we went, you went for a walk on um, Frankston Pier because all that it was, you know, that we're on this bay there was sand, uh, there was water, and, uh, but, but the, most of the time it was just this thick haze. That's all you could see. You couldn't see very far out into the water, just this thick haze. And so we were sort of wondering, yeah, what is all the hype about this place? That is until the last day, because on the last day, that haze lifted, and we could see 
for the first time, just across the bay was the biggest mountain I have ever seen. It was absolutely stunning. It was breathtaking. But the thing is, it was there the whole time. We just couldn't see it. And see, that's what the writer is saying about God in this psalm. The haze of suffering had blocked his experience of God's favour, but that didn't change the reality of God's favour. God hadn't changed. God never changes. In fact, there's a particular event in this psalm that for the writer confirmed that God doesn't change, that God can be trusted. And that event that he focuses on is, of course, the Exodus. The Exodus was the big event that, you know, the the number one event that any Israelite back then could look back on and know, yes, God can be trusted. God does keep his promise. And so in verses 16 to 20, Asaph retells the story of the Exodus in his own uh, way. And he he, he uses very vivid language, uh, very poetic, expressive language. But he tells it uh, from the perspective of all the chaos and confusion. So have a look at verses uh, 16 uh, to uh, to 18. He writes, uh, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed back and forth. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook. Uh, Notice all the turmoil, chaos and confusion. And yet in the midst of all of that, verse 19 says that a path was opened up by God through the Red Sea. Uh, So verse 19, your way was through the sea your path through the great waters. And uh, then he mentions one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible, the end of verse 19, yet your footprints were unseen. See, there was no mistake that God had saved his people that day when he opened up the Red Sea. I mean, the waters knew it, the people knew it, the, the Egyptian army knew it, and yet it didn't matter how hard you looked, there was no trace of God's footprints. He saved his people, but he did it. He, he's invisible. He couldn't be seen. But he did it all the same. And so the psalm ends with um, verse 20, uh, which is a, a great contrast to all of the chaos and confusion of verses 16 to 19. Asaph writes, You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so he sees in this event, The people were not abandoned at all. God was there. God was leading them, just like a shepherd guiding his sheep to safety. He did it by the hand of Moses and Aaron. But look at how this event was such a help to Asaph. Uh, You know, it was at the Red Sea where the people, uh, they were literally trapped. You know, we say stuck between a rock and a hard place because on one side they had this vast sea And on the other side, they had a powerful Egyptian army closing in on them to kill them. And it looked like they had no escape. Worse still, it looked like God had given up on them. It looked like God had led them to this place, to this dead end, and then just abandoned them. And they were all crying out in turmoil. But it was only at that point when all hope seemed to have vanished. And in the midst of all this chaos and confusion, that God opened up a way through the sea, did this dramatic miracle and brought them safely through.
And so if there was ever a time when God proved that he can be trusted, when even though it looked like he had disappeared, that he'd given up on them, if there was ever a time when he, when he proved that he can be trusted, when it looked the least likely, it was then. He proved that he is the God who keeps his promises. In fact, the Exodus proves that God does his greatest work when it looks the least likely and when he's nowhere to be seen. And so a lot has changed throughout the course of this psalm. Uh, the change, no doubt, actually reflects the experience of the writer. You know, at the start, he was thinking about his pain, thinking about what he, he was missing. And uh, that didn't help. But now his thoughts are completely taken up with the Lord, taken up with God's power, God's, uh, God's greatness, God's goodness, God's faithfulness to his promises. See, he is the God who delivers even as he is unseen. <clears throat> but was Asaph better now? Well, he doesn't say. Notice that. It just ends. Was Asaph's life in one piece? I mean, was all that turmoil gone? Probably not. But the effect of leaving it open, that indicates that there's something greater than just feeling good. There's something better than just having a life free of chaos and free of inner turmoil, and that is to rest in the God who is in control, even though we can't see him, even though his footprints are unseen. But with this renewed vision of the Lord, Asaph, even if he was still in turmoil, at least he could say, I don't know what God is doing. I don't know where God has taken me. I don't know when this pain will end, but what I do know is that he is God and he will bring me safely through. Do you know, if that was enough to console this poor fellow, then how much more consolation can you and I experience as we look back to a greater event than the Exodus? We actually get to look back to our Exodus that God brought about, that great deliverance that he, he won for us through the death and resurrection of his son. <clears throat> And as we look back to the cross, we see Jesus experiencing a far greater turmoil than we could ever imagine as he had to bear the full weight of God's wrath against our sin. Jesus bore that in our place. And if it ever looked, if it ever looked like God had abandoned the one he loves, it was in that moment when Jesus cried out as forsaken. To those who watched on, it really looked like God had failed even his own son. And yet in that darkest moment, when it looked like all hope was lost, God was doing his greatest work ever. And three days later, Jesus rose again as eternal saviour of all who put their trust in him. Remember we said a couple of weeks ago that the only thing that can separate us from God for all of eternity is our sin. Well, on the cross, Jesus took that away he paid for it in full and he proved that it worked by rising from the dead and so now jesus is that that one that great shepherd of his flock leading his people safely through all of the turmoil of this world safely in to the true promised land that's still to come and so if it ever looks like god has abandoned you if you ever feel like god has given up on you then you've got to do what this psalmist did to look back 
to the mighty deeds of the Lord. Look back to where God brought that great deliverance at the cross. Meditate on the cross where God abandoned his own son so that he will never abandon you for all of eternity. See, his promises in the gospel will never fail. Uh, That's the pathway out of the trouble. Now, conclusion. To conclude, I just want to reiterate that this psalm does validate the struggles that true believers go through in the faith. Genuine heart struggles. Uh, God never promises his people an easy life. Uh, I know there's some false teachers who promise that if you're a Christian, you know, everything will go well, you'll be uh, successful and happy and, and rich and all of that. But that's, God doesn't promise that. In fact, God promises that the end will be good, but now we will even suffer. Uh, you know, the fact that there are so many lament psalms it shows that God is even preparing us for pain in this life. Uh, the end of pain comes after Jesus returns. And until then, like Acts 14.22 says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. This is a fallen world. This is a world in rebellion against God. And the flesh, the world and the devil will ensure that Christians suffer, that there is hardships. And sometimes in that, doubts can creep in and really shake a believer uh, sometimes, though, we are sometimes too scared to admit those doubts. Uh, we, we try to just deal with them on our own, which usually just makes it worse. But if anything, this psalm validates that true believers do experience doubts and struggles, uh, which can seriously rattle you. But notice not once in this psalm or anywhere in the Bible are we encouraged to embrace those doubts. We're never encouraged to give in to unbelief. There's no pathway in unbelief. That is a dead end, literally. Instead, this psalm, like like many others, gives us direction for how to process our struggles, uh, how to pray God's promises. Do you know that even if we stopped at verse 9, we would have a whole lot of things that could help us uh, in our struggles? Uh, Actually, John Calvin, um, in his commentary, he very helpfully writes about the first half of this psalm, uh, that we are nevertheless taught in this passage that however much we may experience uh, of fretting, sorrow and disquietude, we must persevere in calling upon God even in the midst of these impediments. Do you know sometimes just praying about your troubles is actually the answer? Uh, in fact, this psalm, in this psalm, it seems like the first glimmer of relief actually comes earlier than verse 10. It looks like it comes right back there in around verses 6 and 7, where the psalmist starts voicing his questions. It's almost like as he speaks the questions, they begin to answer themselves. You know, has God failed his promise? That doesn't sound right. Has God's steadfast love stopped being steadfast? What am I saying? See how it starts to answer itself. But look, sometimes God withdraws his felt presence for a time simply to teach us to pray more earnestly. And I'd be surprised if we learn how to pray in any other way. And maybe that's all some of you need to hear today. Maybe some of you just need to hear that you have to start praying. Now that in your trouble, don't grumble about it. Pray about it. Don't stress about it. Pray about it. Turn to God in it. 
Sometimes just praying is the answer, but other times just praying will not bring any immediate relief, like we see in this psalm. And we might even feel like nothing brings relief, but this psalm shows us that the answer is not by giving up, but by going deeper into the Lord, meditating on Him, meditating on His character, His promises, His mighty deeds. In fact, the key word in this psalm probably is that word uh, meditate, uh, which just means to think deeply about God and His ways. Meditate on the gospel. If you're really struggling, ask someone to help you do that. And by God's grace, you will find something better than just feeling good. You will find that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. He is the one we can fully trust, even if his footprints cannot be seen. Amen. Well, let's pray. Oh, Father, we cry out to you. We cry out to you because we know that you hear our prayers through your Son. Oh, Lord, some of us today are probably feeling like the psalmist. You know, the troubles of life can be overwhelming. And we admit that we so easily lose sight of who you are, that you are the holy God. We forget your goodness. We forget your steadfast love. We're so prone to let the burdens of life and the troubles we are facing cloud out the reality of your promises. And so we need you, Lord, to break into our lives with your truth and your comfort. We need the comforter. We need your Holy Spirit to warm our cold hearts with the love of Christ. Father, perhaps some of us today are feeling are despondent toward you and toward your mighty deeds because we have turned away from you. Uh, perhaps some of us have allowed ourselves to drift away from you and we haven't even been concerned about that. Maybe some of us have even bought into the lie that we can live independently of you, perhaps trying to fill the void that that leaves with things that only enslave. Oh, Father, forgive us for this. But we thank you, Lord, for this psalm. We thank you for the voice that it gives us in our confusion and grief. And so help us to follow in the steps of this psalm, to turn toward you each day, to remember and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people through the death and resurrection of your son. We can't see you. Lord, because you are invisible, your footprints are unseen, but we can see by the eyes of faith that you have acted powerfully in history for us in sending your son to rescue and redeem us. Uh, we see through the eyes of faith, we see Jesus conquering sin and death for us. We see him risen. We see him ascended on high. We see him at your right hand in control of all things and working all things according to the purpose of your will. We see Jesus as the great shepherd of his flock, leading us by the hand, never letting us go, because no one can snatch us out of his hand. And so we know that your promises are not empty words, but are grounded in your unchanging character and confirmed in your mighty deeds. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that even if our circumstances are not as we would like today, even if we are in the day of trouble, Lord, bring us to the point where we can say, I have something better than an easy life. I have Jesus, and he really is enough. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I'm going to close with uh, reading from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 to 11. And the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. See you next week.